0: Well, good morning. Hard to believe we're only two days away from Christmas. Anybody still got some shopping left to do? To be honest, it's Bob. All right. <laughs> Bob's the only honest one. Right. Uh, how many of you would say, you know, uh, we're two days away from Christmas, but you know things aren't exactly the way that I would want them to be this time of year. There's just some difficult things that I'm going through right now. You know, maybe it's that you know, it's just uh, something at your, your job or with your health, maybe a friend of yours or a loved one of yours, or maybe even you yourself just got a negative report from the doctor. And it's, it's tough. It's making this time that's supposed to be that, the happiest and the, 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 the merriest time of the year just feels a little bit heavy. Or, or maybe for you it's a, a financial pressure of some sort. You know, this time of year, you start to hear Santa going, ho, 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 and your heart says, bye, 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 and your check account's going, no, 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 right? (laughs) And so you're feeling that that stress of, I've got to buy stuff. Or maybe this is your your first Christmas since a loved one passed away, and you're feeling the weight of that, that there's going to be that extra place setting there at at the dinner table that isn't going to be filled. Or maybe the holidays remind you of your divorce that you went through and that, you know what, I'm only going to be able to spend a couple hours with my kid at Christmas time. Maybe for you it's just the business of the year. I mean, this time gets pretty stressful, doesn't it? There's presents to buy, there's presents to wrap, there's parties to attend, there's cookies to bake. It's just a lot of stuff. And so again, instead of this time of year feeling like it's the the, the merriest time, the the happiest time, it becomes a very stressful time. It's chaotic. It's filled with anxiety. And that's why there's great, great hope in the last name that Isaiah the prophet gives of Jesus. If you haven't been with us here at Exponential for the last four weeks, what we've been doing is looking this amazing prophecy that isaiah gives of jesus 700 years even before jesus was born and in this prophecy he actually gives four names of who jesus will be and it's not actual what his name will be it's more of a a description of what he's going to bring to the earth and so let's look at this one more time in isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 isaiah prophesies and he says for unto us a child is born to us a son is given is given and the government will be on his shoulders Let's do this together. He'll be called what? He'll be called the Wonderful Counselor. He'll be called the Mighty God. He'll be called the Everlasting Father. Father, And He'll be called the Prince of Peace. Today my prayer is, and actually my prayer for not only today, but tomorrow as we gather together for Christmas Eve at 5.30, is that you would experience the Prince of Peace like you've never experienced Him before. Now, as we go through the gospel accounts of the the life of Jesus and the the birth of Jesus, the, the best account we get is from a guy by the name of Luke. Now, what you need to understand about Luke is he was a doctor, and he had at some point befriended this guy. He was a Roman guy by the name of Theophilus, and Theophilus had become a believer. He had heard the stories of Jesus. He had become a believer, but apparently somewhere along the way as he was encountering Luke, he's like... Had some questions or some doubts about the whole story. Is this really true or not? And so Luke decides, you know what? I'm going to go back. I'm going to investigate it. I'm going to like talk to eyewitnesses. And so he, he talked to the disciples and possibly he even talked to Mary, the the mother of Jesus. And and just hey, just one more time. Could you tell me right from from your mouth what what happened? What was his life? all about, and then he writes this letter to his friend Theophilus to tell him what it was all about. Now, never in Luke's wildest imagination could he have imagined that we would still be talking about this letter that he was writing to his friend here 2,000 years later. Never could he have imagined that one day his letter would be bound together with 27 other letters of eyewitnesses that we would now call the New Testament. He couldn't have imagined that this letter he was going to write to his friend would one day be considered holy scripture. Today we call it the Gospel of Luke. It's one of four accounts of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. So this is an eyewitness account. Again, he's, he's investigating all this. In fact, he talks about it right from the very beginning. Look at Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Many have attempted to write about what had taken place among us, They received their information from those who had been eyewitnesses and servants of God's word from the beginning, and then they passed it on to us. However, it occurred to me that it would be well to recheck all of these accounts from first to last, and after thorough investigation, to pass this summary on to you, most excellent Theophilus, to reassure you of all the truth that you were taught. This is amazing how he starts this letter because a lot of people, when they haven't like, read the Bible and they're you know, not believers in Jesus and stuff, they think that they're going to open it up and it's going to start out once upon a time. There was a man named Jesus and Jesus had a blue ox named Babe, right? I mean, they, they, just, it, it's, they just think it's some sort of fairy tale. But what does Luke say here? He says... I thought it would be good for me to go back and recheck all these stories that were told to us. I investigated. I actually talked to the people that were there. So this isn't once upon a time. This is history given to us. And so he's like, you know what, I'm going to write all of this down. And again, we have it, we call it the, the Gospel of Luke. And that's basically the whole story of Jesus. And then he actually has a follow-up, the sequel, because the first one did well, right? (laughs) Isn't that how it normally works? (laughs) Yeah. It's like Luke strikes back, right? (laughs) But but no, it's it's, actually that works, doesn't it? (laughs) He actually writes another one. It's called the, The Book of Acts. And we actually looked at that back last summer as we did the whole movement series and that's Luke, who was writing this. Of Here's how the church then started after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And he talks about the stories of Paul. And then that Luke actually becomes a part of the story partway through the book of Acts as he starts to travel along with Paul. But again, I want you to see that this is all eyewitness accounts. This is not just once upon a time in a land far away. This is true, true stuff here. And Luke gives us the best account of the birth of Jesus, and I don't want to cover all of it today, but I, just, I do want to give you just a little bit of it here. It's the, the angels, they, they come to the shepherds and present this good news uh, to the shepherds announcing the arrival of this baby. In Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 14, Luke writes this, "...that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified." But the angel reassured them, do not what? Do not be afraid, afraid," he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, Praising God and saying glory to God in highest heaven. And what and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. The angels are announcing that you don't have to be afraid anymore. That the prince of peace is now here amongst us. Jesus is the prince of peace. But if you think about the whole story of his birth, there's not a lot of peace with it, is there? I mean, let, let's start at the very beginning. First of all, you have a young teenage girl that she shows up pregnant out of wedlock. And her story is, wasn't well, my fiancé Joseph that made me pregnant, God himself made me pregnant. Uh-huh. Sure. I mean, you you think that the rumor mill started to swirl a little bit there in Nazareth where they lived? Do you think it was all peace for Mary in that moment when she's having to tell this story that God did this to me? No. And now, now, fast forward. Many months later, she's nine months pregnant. How many of you ladies remember what it was like to be nine months pregnant? You didn't want to get up off the couch go to the mall or, you know, you you didn't want to get, get out of the house at all. But what does Joseph come and say to her? Mary, Augustus, Caesar Augustus, he has declared that a census must be taken of all the land and everybody must return back to their hometown to be counted. And Mary, my hometown is 80 miles from here. It's called Bethlehem. We need to go on a little road trip. Now, did I mention she was nine months pregnant? (laughs) Do you think that there was much peace in the midst of that conversation that they had with one another? What do you mean I've got to go on this trip? 80 miles. Now, let me put that into perspective for you. 80 miles is from here to down to Baltimore. Keep in mind, they didn't have a car. So how'd they get there? Shout out, how'd they get there? All right, I'm hearing mixed results. Some are saying walk, some are saying donkey. Here, here's the thing, we don't know. If you look at like nativities that you set up in your living room, there's always a donkey there, right? Mary comes riding in on a donkey. Scriptures never actually say that. Somebody just said, hey, it'd be cool if we put her on a donkey. <laughs> so we don't know. If they rode by donkey, it would have been about a four-day journey. If they walked, about a week. Did I mention she's nine months pregnant? Pretty stressful, isn't it? I don't see a lot of peace in the midst of this. Then they get there. Joseph's like, "Um, babe, bad news. The, The Bethlehem Inn here, there's no rooms. And I checked at the courtyard by Herod. There's no rooms there either and and thankfully the motel 666 it, it was already full you know they, they couldn't they, they couldn't stay at that one right but he's like i checked at all these places there's there's just no room for us sounds stressful doesn't it not a lot of peace in that and so what does he say i found a room where did he find the room and stable activity scene shows a barn it wasn't a barn it was a cave that's where the animal stayed was in a cave he's like babe we can sleep in this cave tonight with the animals that doesn't sound very peaceful does it so now there they are and george just reminded me she's what she's nine months pregnant <laughs> And she's like, I don't feel very good. Oh no. My water just broke. We're gonna have to give birth to this baby right here. Amongst all the filth of the animals. Doesn't sound very peaceful, does it? Then all of a sudden the Prince of Peace is born. Jesus. And then they all lived happily ever after, right? No. Because what happens right after that? King Herod hears that there's a, a new king on the scene. He feels threatened by Jesus, but he doesn't know exactly who Jesus is or where he's at, so he orders the execution of all the boys two years old and younger there in the land. All the kids be killed, these little boys. It's like, I'm not taking any chances. Just kill them all. That doesn't sound very peaceful. And then again, fast forward to today, 2,000 years later. There's a lot of financial stress this time of year. There's a lot of relational stress this time of year. You you start to wonder, if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, why don't we feel much peace? Did Jesus fail? The answer to that, of course, is no. No course he didn't fail but what we need to understand is that our definition of the word peace is different than the type of peace that Jesus promises to bring us a lot of times when we think of peace we we think of an emotion that I I feel peace I feel calm and that's a part of it but peace is so much more than that in fact let's look at it together The, the two Hebrew words that are translated as Prince of Peace are Sar Shalom. That's sort of fun to say. Say it, say it with me. Sar Shalom. Sar Shalom. Yeah, Sar Shalom. Let, let, let's look at what each one of those means. Sar is this, S-A-R, Sar, the captain, the Lord, the chief, the general, the one who is in charge. Isn't that who Jesus is? Captain, the chief, the general, the Lord, the one who is in charge of our lives. Now, again, this was a a generic term. The Romans actually took this Hebrew word sar and they adapted it into Greek, but they just put a a C at the beginning of it, the letter C. That's how they spelled it. Now, actually say that. How how would you say that with a C at the front of it? C, sar, which is? Caesar. Caesar, like Julius Caesar, or Caesar Augustus, the the one that had ordered the, the, the census to be taken. So that again, this was a very common common word here. That it's the, the leader. It's the one that's in charge, it's the, the general, it's the captain. That's Jesus for us. He's all those things. But what is he the, the leader of? Well, Look at the next thing, shalom. And this is something you may have heard of before. You know, it's a common Jewish greeting that, you know, shalom. And it means peace be with you. But again, it's more than just an inner uh, inner feeling that you have of peace. It's much deeper than that. Look, Look at the definition there. Shalom is wholeness, completeness, tranquility, the one who gives peace. And so we could say this, Jesus is the Sar Shalom of our lives. He is the captain of rest. He is the lord of tranquility. He is the chief of completeness. He is the one who is in charge of our wholeness. Not just the one that's in charge of our feelings, but our wholeness, the completeness of us. We need to put Jesus in charge of us. And when he has us, when he has made us whole, when he has made us complete, then we have a peace that surpasses all understanding, a piece that you can't even begin to comprehend in your life. That's Jesus, and that's what he wants to give you. Now, I hate bumper sticker theology. You know what I'm talking about? You know, these little bumper stickers are supposed to be so, like, clever, you know, and like, oh, just put a bumper sticker on your car, and everybody's going to come to Jesus just because, man, stupid. All right, Uh, but there there is one that actually I've seen before that actually goes with this. And it basically is the the word no, N-O, and it says no peace, or or no Jesus, N-O Jesus, then no, N-O peace. But then it says K-N-O-W Jesus, K-N-O-W peace. If you don't have Jesus, you're not going to have peace. But if you know him, you have a relationship with him, then you will have peace. Again, not just peace of mind, a peace in every aspect of your life. Again, a peace which surpasses all understanding. Now you're saying, okay, if Jesus is the Tsar Shalom, in what ways does he do that for me? In what ways does he give me peace and wholeness and completeness? A couple things there on your outline. Number one, Jesus gives me peace between myself and God the Father. I, I want to read you a, a scripture here. I'm not even going to tell you yet where where it's at. I mean, it's there on your outline, so you'll see it, and it's on the screen. But I just want to read this to you. It says, he was hated and rejected. His life was filled with sorrow and terrible suffering. No one wanted to look at him. We despised him and said he is a nobody. He suffered and endured great pain for us, but we thought his suffering was punishment from God. He was wounded and crushed because of our sins. By taking our punishment, he has made us completely Well, all of us were like sheep and had wandered off. We each had gone our own way, but the Lord gave him the punishment that we deserved. He was painfully abused, but he did not complain. He was silent like a lamb being led to the butcher, as quiet as a sheep having its wool cut off. He was condemned to death without a fair trial. Who could have imagined what what happened to him? His life was taken away because of the sinful things that people had done. He wasn't dishonest or violent, but he was buried in a tomb of cruel and rich people. The Lord decided his servant would suffer as a sacrifice to take away the sin and the guilt of others. Now the servant will live to see his own descendants. He did everything that the Lord had planned. By suffering, the servant will learn the true meaning of obeying the Lord. Although he is innocent, he will take the punishment for the sins of others so that many of them will no longer be guilty. The Lord will reward him with honor and power for sacrificing his life. Others thought that he was a sinner, but he suffered for our sins and asked God to forgive us. Now, who's that talking about? Jesus. How do you explain that? How do you explain that, that you know that that's talking about Jesus? And you're going, explain what? Well, guess what? These words were written by Isaiah. 700 years before the birth of Jesus. You knew exactly who this was talking about, but he wrote it 700 years before. And as I've shared with you before, the whole Old Testament was completed 400 years before the time of Jesus. And this is just a couple of the prophecies about Jesus. There are actually 333 specific prophecies that were written about Jesus all completed at least 400 years before he was actually born. This is one of the ways that we know that the Bible is true. You can't just make up all these predictions, one after another, after another, after another, after another. All of them came true. It's not like that there's like 3,000 in here and like only 333 of them came true. There's 333 in all about the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. The one that was going to come to give us peace, to make us whole, to make us complete. The one that was going to forgive us of our sins. The one that would take the punishment of our sins upon himself. 333, that's all you have about Jesus. And all 333, Jesus fulfilled. Now there are other prophecies in the Old Testament, but it's about other, other things, other people, other events. But again, you, you don't just get lucky. We actually did a whole series last year just on the prophecies. And so if you're interested in the mathematical odds of this happening, you can jump online and listen to that. It's just It boggles your mind. If you were here last year, remember how many zeros we had going across the, the screen? And that was only for like 13 prophecies coming true. And again, there's 333 specific prophecies about Jesus. And Isaiah writes this 700 years before He says, look, Jesus is going to be the prince of peace. He's going to take away your sin. He's going to take away your guilt. He's going to make you whole. He's going to make you so that God the Father can forgive you. Now, many years after Jesus, uh, or uh, actually many, many years later when Jesus lived and then his death, his burial, and his resurrection, uh, there was this young guy by the name of Paul. And Paul hated Christians. He was actually persecuting them. He was ordering their, their execution. And we, we've talked about him before. His actual name at that time was Saul. And Saul actually has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. This guy that he said, there's no way this guy came back to life, right? And you're blaspheming, you know, everything that we ever learned in our Jewish scriptures, you're blaspheming that. But now he meets Jesus, and he's like, oh, you are alive. And it changes his life because not only does Jesus forgive him, but it gives he gives Saul and then Paul a brand new life, and Paul gets so excited about this good news that my life has been changed. I've got to share this with as many other people as I possibly can. And so Paul starts traveling all over the then-known world, he's starting new churches, and he's leading people to Jesus. And Paul himself, he writes a lot of the letters that end up in what we call the New Testament of the Bible. And he was encouraging different churches that he had started. And one of those churches was in the city of Ephesus, and so there's this letter in the, the New Testament we call the book of Ephesians. And again, it's this letter that he's writing to this church in Ephesus. And he's talking about those who have asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins. And he's just reiterating here a little bit of what Isaiah was talking about. Look, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. He says, you once lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God the Father, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ, for Christ Himself has brought what? He has brought peace to us. Jesus is the Sar Shalom. He is the Prince of Peace. He's the one that brings peace to us. He's the one that reconnects us with God the Father through His shed blood on the cross. Again, this isn't just peace of mind, but this is a wholeness between us and God. Number two, then, Jesus makes peace in this world possible for me. In other words, we want that peace of mind, don't we? Well, Jesus makes that possible. You you can't have it. Now, towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, Uh, Right before he goes to the cross, he was gathering together with his disciples, and he was sort of sharing with them, here's everything that is going to happen to me. Here's everything that's going to happen to you. Here's what will happen to future believers as well. And Jesus says this, and this was written by uh, another guy. This guy's name is John. John was Jesus' best friend. He was an eyewitness of everything. And John was another one. He wrote a letter just saying, hey, here's everything that I saw. Here's everything that Jesus did. And he just writes it all down. John 16, 33, he writes this, and again, this is Jesus speaking. I have told you these things so that in me you may have, you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, does following Jesus mean that everything's going to turn up puppies and rainbows? No, obviously not. I mean, Jesus promises here that in this world you're going to have trouble, You're going to have challenges like Mary faced, like Joseph faced. There's going to be challenges. And you're going to have challenges in your own life. You're going to have financial difficulties and relational difficulties. They're all just a part of this thing that we call life. But he says, when you have a relationship with me, you can have peace because I have overcome the world. Now, when he talks about overcome there, it's not a, a, a sense of he's just going to snap his fingers and magically make our lives all better. No, when he talks about overcoming the world there, he's talking about a sense of when we put our full hope and trust and faith in him, that he'll give us a wholeness and a completeness, that we can have peace and joy no matter what our circumstances are. And I've shared that before too, that happiness has to do with your circumstances but your joy and your peace has nothing to do with your circumstances because Jesus can give you that. He can give you a sense of peace no matter what is going on in your life right now. Paul, uh, another one of the churches that he started was in the city of Philippi, and so he writes this letter. We call it the the book of Ephesians, or uh, uh, Philippians, I should say. And in the book of Philippians, He writes these, or he writes these things down. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. Now let me stop right there. How often does he say to be full of joy? Always. Always. Does that mean only when things are going good? No, always means always. It means even when things are bad, when your circumstances are down, you are always to have joy. So he says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are unselfish and considerate in all that you do. Remember that the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Hello. We talked about that last week, right? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs. And don't forget to thank him for his answers. Then, because you belong to Christ Jesus, God will bless you with? With peace that no one can completely understand, and this peace will control the way that you think and feel. Now, that's what we were talking about at the beginning, right? That's what you want. That's what you came in. When you you think of the word peace, you think of how I'm thinking, how I'm feeling. And he says, I can give you that, but I can give you so much more than that. And so he really gives the secret to peace. And the first thing was this, that you have to have joy always. You always have joy. You always have that positive mental attitude that, God, I don't understand why you're allowing this right now, but you do, and obviously there must be something greater that you have planned for my life, and you're allowing me to go through this because this is what's best for me right here and right now, because maybe by me going through this, somebody else is going to come into relationship with you. Or by me going through this, I'm going to break hold of a sin that that has been holding me tight for many, many years. Or by me going through this, it's going to be an inspiration to many, many others that they too can go through it. You never know why he is allowing those tough times to come, but take joy in it. Thank you, Jesus, for this. I I may have shared this with you before. I'm not sure if I did, but uh, many, many years ago, before I was a pastor, I was a professional entertainer and I was... uh, Actually, one corporation had hired me for a lot of gigs, and I had actually put my, all my eggs sort of in that basket. And basically one day they, they called, the corporate office called, and they said, you're no longer needed. They fired me over the answering machine. And I remember, I had only been a Christian for a couple years at that point, but I remember in that moment, dropping to my knees, and just praising God. It's like, cool, thank you, Jesus. I don't understand this, but thank you. And it was in that moment that I realized, wow, this isn't the old Gilbert, because the old Gilbert had no peace in his life. And I know I've shared with you before that the old Gilbert like, would get like, majorly sick before like, tests and stuff, That like the one year for college that I had to like, skip out on a, a final exam because I was there for the final exam, and I started puking all over because I was just so nervous. That was the old Gilbert, full of worry and anxiety. And now all of a sudden, here was them telling me, you're fired. And again, with with my business, it was like 80% of all our income was coming through that one particular account. I'm like, cool, you've got something better for us. And guess what he did. That's when we started a second business. And that's the one that really took off and made that one look like nothing. And, you know, recently, I'll just be honest with you, right now, as a, as a church, we're struggling financially, and to the point that, like, I'm not cashing paychecks, right? But uh, some of the, the people I've shared this with, leadership and stuff, they can tell you, I've been going, I don't understand it, but I'm not worried about it. I'm not losing any sleep. I told them, if I start losing sleep, then I'll, I'll let you guys know. <laughs> but I don't know why God's allowing this right now, but He does. And I've shared this with some other people. I'm like, we're actually at the best place we've been as a church in our eight years. Not financially, but who you guys are and the, and the hunger that you have and the, and the, the, the spiritual growth that we're seeing and this whole thing that we've been talking about, the, you know, getting back to what is real discipleship and that it's the disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Well, guess what? That, that's sort of the, the, the crockpot method, right? That's going to be a little slower, I'm cool with that. Now, I don't understand you know, why God's allowing it and how he's going to bring us through it, but he is. It'll happen. See, that, that's the type of peace that you can have. That you don't have to worry about all the stuff and all the circumstances. He wants to give you this, this, this peace. But Again, it starts with that, that positive mental attitude of rejoicing always, no matter what. Number two, then Paul says, look, you need to be unselfish. You gotta be unselfish. And, and what I mean by that is, if if you start serving other people by serving others, you don't have time to think about yourself and what's going on in your life and all the bad stuff. You're, you're serving. And there's a sense of joy that comes from that. And there's this, this sense of, you know what? Yeah, my problems are bad, but many times the people that you're serving, you're you're able to look at it and go, wow, they actually have it worse. And so again, it gives you just this new perspective in your life. And then finally he says, You gotta pray. You just keep on praying. And I, I know I, I've shared this with you before. You know, one of the things I get frustrated with sometimes is People are like, well, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and then I tried that, and I did this, and I did this. I guess the only thing left to do now is just to pray. No, that's the first thing you should have done. Because it's not about you. It's all about him working in and through you. That's where you start is with prayer. You start with prayer. And so Paul says, look, if, if you keep this positive mental attitude, if you rejoice always, if you learn how to serve others and be unselfish, if you learn how to pray, then you're going to have a peace that the human mind cannot even comprehend, a peace that will have other people going, how are you doing that? Because if I were in your situation right now, I'd be flipping out. How are you doing that? And that's when you say, I'm not. I'm not. It's Jesus in me. He is the Sar Shalom. He is the Prince of peace. He is the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. And He loves me. And He cares for me. That's why I have peace. That's why I'm not worried. He has made me whole. He has made me complete. Now I'm just living out Who it is that he would have me to be. Again, I don't know what you came in here with today, what worries or anxieties, what relational difficulties or stresses you may have, but Jesus does. And he wants you to surrender those things to him. He wants you to put him in charge. Again, SAR, in charge, the leader, the Lord. He wants you to lay those things at his feet and just say, Jesus, I don't have to be responsible for this because you are. This is your mess. And I'll do my part. But I'm not going to worry about it because you're in control. And you're going to give me shalom. You're going to give me peace. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day and for this opportunity we've had to gather together here as we uh, are only two days away from celebrating your birth and just this opportunity to once again look at your word and to realize that yes, it was was written by men, but yet at the same time, it was definitely inspired by you because how could a man possibly make that many right guesses like Isaiah and others in the Old Testament that talked about your coming? And then you inspired Luke of who he needed to go to, these eyewitnesses to interview and, and talk to them and you had him write all, everything down then and here we are 2,000 years later and we're, we're still living by those words and the, the words of the other eyewitnesses. People like Peter and And Paul and John and James, Matthew and Mark, John. I mean, just amazing accounts of your birth, your life, your death, your resurrection. And your plan for us 2,000 years later. And so, Lord, I pray that all of us here today, we would surrender our lives to you fully. That we wouldn't make you the, the leader, the captain, the general of our lives for like 90% of our lives, and then there's like 10% that we still hold on to. No, you want all of us. If you're going to make us completely whole, then you need every single part of us. Every decision that we make, every word that we say, every action that we take, every dollar that we spend, every second that, that we go and do something. God, you want it all. Because you have a better plan for us than we even have for ourselves. So help us to surrender whatever it is we need to this morning. And whatever anxieties and, and cares that we have, you, you said that we can cast all those cares on you because you do care so much for us. As we looked at these words from Paul, that if we'll, we'll pray, then you'll give us a peace which will, will surpass all of our human comprehension and understanding. Lord, that's what we need. Two days before Christmas with all the hustle and bustle and the busyness. We just need your peace. But help us not to accept that just so we can get through the holidays. Help us to accept that every single moment of every single day of our lives. What a a different way to live. A transforming way of living. Give us that now. Because you promised to give good gifts to your children.